There's so much counsel on how to live life properly. And there's many examples to follow as these people tell us of their successes. In other words, like I should follow after this person because, and then they tell us all the things that they've accomplished. The pride of people's hearts then starts making them trash one another. They start speaking as if they're the authority and everyone else doesn't know what they're talking about. And who are we to listen to, though? How can I be fruitful in God's kingdom? And what is God's kingdom? Well, good morning and welcome to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. And we're not doing that in a defensive posture. We're doing that very much so uh, to aid in the spread of the kingdom of God right here and right now in the hearts of people and affecting of uh, culture and everything else around us and resisting sin, self, the devil, and the world. I would like to think of that more in an offensive step. So that's what God's resistance is about. That's what God is doing. And we can either join him or we can try and go our own way, which kind of leads us into a little bit of what we're talking about right now is that a lot of times people are looking for some sort of code to live by, some sort of philosophy, what glues everything together. And we've got no shortage of people that tell us how we're to live, how we're to look at life and all of that. But we need to have answers as Christians, or maybe you're not a Christian, you're listening to this, we need answers. What does the Bible say about us being fruitful, productive people? And I said being fruitful or productive in the kingdom of God. God's kingdom uh, is right now, right here uh, on earth. It's made up of saints and sinners. You can go back to um, my podcast. I have done, uh, I think it was about a three-part series on the kingdom of God through scriptures kind of explaining that. But I want you to know that God's kingdom is alive and well, and it is here and now, and it is uh, in the hearts of people. And it's also encompassing all this existence that you and I are in. So how can I be fruitful in this existence in God's kingdom? Let's look at Psalm 1 to find out. Excuse me. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper." The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So we have some help here in how can I be fruitful in the kingdom of God? So there's some things that I'd like to talk about. I'd like to talk about what are the negative steps or the negative things about being fruitful in the thing, the, the kingdom of God. In other words, what you shouldn't do. The positive steps, what should I do? What are the results of obeying the psalmist? And then what are the results of not doing what the psalmist says to help us get a full-orbed picture of how to be fruitful in God's kingdom? So the negative steps here, what we shouldn't do, We're told not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. In fact, the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, we're told here, is a blessed person. So if people, and and we're we're trying to figure out who are the ungodly, um, if there are hearts that are not in loving obedience to the God of the Bible, these are the ungodly. Should we listen to their counsel is the question mark. Will their counsel lead us 
in the true and full ways of God? Will these people who do not have a heart of loving obedience to the God of the Bible, will their motives glorify God? Often uh, with these ones that say that they've got answers to life and all and how we should live life and what we should do, the motive is for themselves. Now, there are some people that are more grossly full of pride than others, but ultimately the deception of the human heart without the grace of God um, changing it is that the motives are all wrapped up for self and not to the glory of God. And that's even for the best of people. Um, And so we are not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly because they're not walking towards God. They're not walking with God. And so if we are to go after their counsel, we're likely to go the same place they're going. Walking here implies uh, a way of life, a worldview. Uh, Walking implies also active participation, you know, just kind of fleshing out what you believe or what you see, agreeing with whatever this person is saying. So we, we at this point have fellowship with this council. That's what it means to walk in the council of the ungodly. We are active participation with their worldview, with whatever is being said, how things all fit together and the implications it has in life. And so people have a following because they seem to say something. I think about one particular individual in our day, especially because manhood is under attack. And so there's a void and a vacuum that's being filled up, you know, by people that seem to at least have some kind of semblance of care towards men and and men need to stand up and be men. This man, his name's Andrew Tate. Now, I don't know the man, um, you know, like I've, I've never really talked to the guy, that kind of thing. But well, from what I see um, in of things that he said, Facebook and social media, or excuse me, YouTube, social media, all that kind of stuff, Andrew Tate has a following of men. The problem is, is that his worldview is not uh, a worldview that is the God of the Bible. He just, he does things and says things that are so reprehensible Uh, as far as what godly masculinity looks like. And yet, because nobody else seems to be dealing with masculinity in a good and wholesome way, and I say that relatively speaking, um, people follow this man, Andrew Tate. Naturally, if you follow this man, Andrew Tate, you'll start to like the things he likes, hate the things he, he hates. You'll start to walk in the ways of the ungodly and go whatever direction Andrew Tate is going, which I assure you is not the way of biblical masculinity. Uh, I, I would hope that, you know, he could turn and see things clearly and see God according to what the Bible has to say and adjust his life accordingly. Uh, but that's not always the case. Nevertheless, the counsel of the ungodly is coming out of his mouth. Also, there are uh, some of the entrepreneurs that people look up to. Now, I'm not saying that none of these people could say things that are true. That's not what I'm speaking about. They can speak true things. But the entrepreneurs that a lot of people look up to, they're just, they're, their God is their money. And so people start following after the same God that these people are following after. So don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Do not stand in the way of sinners. If we walk in ungodly counsel, it will logically lead to a more established way of doing something. From taking ungodly counsel you and I end up doing ungodly things. Then we end up standing in this life of sin now. It's something now that's become a desire to us where before we may have been exploring as we're trying to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now I'm sitting in the way of sinners. And this is kind of more of a planted place. It's not just me trying to figure things out anymore or just test it out. I think I'm starting to park here. 
Uh, and then standing in the way of sinners, it's like as, as if we're, we're waiting to catch up with them and then the fellowship with them. We're in the same way that they walk. We're in the same space that they frequent. We're standing in the way of sinners. Then we're told not to sit in the seat of the scornful. So it went from walk, stand, now to sit. And in the in this sitting position, we are now fixed in this. This is a continued life of sin. And if we're not careful, we continue to go in a life of sin. We make our hearts hardened toward God, hardened towards morality and truth. We, if, if it serves us, fine. If it doesn't, I don't care. We then end up mocking and scorning God and his ways. We figured out the worldview. We don't need God. You know, we mock God because we're doing the very things he hates. And so people just take up this mantle of just warring against God and making fun of him, making fun of the Bible, making fun of people that call themselves Christians. It's now this is no longer an option uh, of philosophy or a worldview. That is to, to walk with God. It's no longer an, uh, an option anymore. Now I positively hate the God of the Bible. I hate the Bible itself and I hate Christian people. I think they're all just ridiculous. These are the negative steps. Don't walk in the counsel of the godly. Do not stand in the way of sinners and don't sit in the seat of, of the scornful. But if we were to base everything off of negative steps, we wouldn't be getting too far. So what should I do then? Well, the scripture here in Psalm 1 says to meditate in God's law day and night. So do we just read it? <clears throat> no. Because we can read things without assimilating them. There's a lot of those people that say, read this many books in a week, and they're like, blah, 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 and they just go through it, but they can hardly tell you what the book was about. Uh, we're not interested in that. It says to meditate on God's word, which literally means like chewing the cud. Get the nutrients out of the word. Don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. Why do we meditate on God's word? Well, we don't just want a mere book of religion. We want to know the God who inspired the Bible. And we're not going to be easily swayed by the ungodly to follow after them if we meditate on God's word, because now we know what God loves and hates because we've meditated on it. We have internalized those things that God has said and that we internalize those things that we think about and care about deeply. So meditation has that effect. And I'm not just talking about ohm and crossing your legs. I'm talking about actively uh, taking those those thoughts and those those scripture verses in your mind until you get out of them what's there. This gives ample opportunity also to affect the heart. The heart is the command station of the soul. So what we love, we do. What we hate, we shun. So how do I meditate on God's word? Well, we can do it through scripture meditation. We can pray uh, through scriptures, turning the scriptures we read into prayers, make promises ours, you know, whatever we need to listen to the Bible. We can read good books about the Bible. We can listen to good preaching. You should go to a biblical church. This, these are all ways that help us to meditate on God's law day and night, practical ways. What are the results then of obeying what the psalmist said? Well, he said we would be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, which helps us to understand that there are seasons for fruitfulness. And then there are times for preparation where a lot is happening beneath the surface, but not a lot looks like it's happening on the outside. We're also told that the leaves won't wither of, of the tree if we were if we were the tree. And so the signs of a healthy tree, though it's not currently the time for fruit, is that the leaves aren't withering, which helps us to understand a little bit about patience. 
It's feeding by the the river. It's getting all the nutrients in. There will come a day where it's going to be ripe that fruit should come from it. And in this condition, drought is no threat to a tree that's planted by the water. There's a never-ending supply. And so he says, if you are to meditate in God's law day and night, you're like this tree planted by the water that is going to bear fruit. The leaves that you have are not going to wither, though you're in a, a, a world of wickedness and, and spiritual drought in some respect. You're going to be okay. The, we have the sure promise that we, uh, God's blessing rather, will be on all that we do, all that you do, making it prosper if you meditate day and night in God's law. And what you do, if we're meditating in God's law day and night, is going to be in alignment with God's will. So God can safely say that we will prosper because we're actually doing the things that please him. But then what are the results of not doing what the psalmist said? Well, there's no prosperity to the ungodly. You may say, well, I believe in God. So did the devils, but they are on their way to hell. It's more than just a mental ascent, but a life and a heart devoted to God and loving obedience to his revealed will, which we find in the Bible. The wicked will not prosper as God counts prosperity. It says that they're like the chaff of the wind that are just blown by the wind. There's nothing solid and lasting about their lives and what they're doing. And, and I know this is kind of a generality because some wicked people have done things that have outlived them. You know, the invention of the car and all these other things that have taken place. But the absolute loss of the eternal weight, that's what they suffer. And oftentimes, even if, they're th- if what they did was good, their motives are judged by God. Therefore, they're not going to have a sure ground to stand on when they're at the judgment because they didn't do things for the right reason. They'll feel out of place when they're in the congregation and fellowship of the saints. They have no part or no place in there. And though those that are not devoted to God may put on some bit of a show, God knows who is truly righteous and devoted, and then he knows who isn't. There will be no mistakes in God's final judgment. So in concluding all this, this is this all really just points right back to the beginning, to what it said in, in this section of scripture, that how, how do you treat God's word? If you know God's word and it dwells within you, you'll not be surprised in the day of judgment. So we need to take God's word and assimilate that, pull that into us. And if we have that, we have prosperity as God counts prosperity. We will be fruitful in his kingdom. There will be much good that's done both here and everlastingly as we plant ourselves in the word of God and are gaining the nourishment, the the water to the soul that where everything else dries and shrivels up, we won't. Um, not only will we have fruit in God's kingdom right now, but we're going to have everlasting fruit where moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal. So how about you, dear listener? Are you treating God's word the way that the psalmist describes it? If you're not, you can change today. Join the resistance, God's resistance. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782. I'd love to get in contact with you. We could meet in a coffee shop or whatever we need to do to help you further on your journey. And stay tuned for a meeting place that we're going to have in downtown Wilkes-Barre.